Muddy Knees Media. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterval slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off. Because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself and no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash Scottish show. Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, Hamden Havoc, Kettlewell gets canned and hey buddies, I'm Andrew Slavin and joining me are my buddies, Laura Brannan from Motherwell Football Club and JJ Bill from The Telegraph. Hello friends. Hey buddy. Hello. <laughs> You're not my buddy guy. That's all that I could think about. It's a South Park reference. <laughs> If you haven't seen South Park, have a watch. It's very good. Um, football. Livingston didn't play any of it this weekend because Celtic were playing some of it in the Scottish Cup. Um, but that doesn't really mean that they're not in the news because it's new manager Monday. We'll talk about Ross County later because they've got a new fancy manager. But David Martindale has been appointed as permo boss of Livingston. Four wins from four under Martindale since Gary Holt resigned. Martindale was, um, well, he is the head of football operations. So he's like the boss of bosses now, isn't he? Like he's like that kind of guy at the end of like a game that you have to beat to kind of win the league. But it's not that way. <laughs> Thoughts? I think this is a good appointment for Livingston. And I don't think it's one that will surprise many people either. I think what we've, we've talked about before, I think the only surprise is maybe because Martindale's been so involved in Levy recently, it means that he, he can't really go back to that because if he fails now, he's going to have to almost sack himself. So if you avoid that sort of element to it, I think it's a good appointment. He's proved in the last couple of weeks he's done very well. He's he's always been quite hands-on with the team anyway. Um, so I think in terms of the players, there won't be much change really behind the scenes. And JJ, he's taken them to Hamden as well. So it's quite an exciting time for Livingston fans. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, he might turn out to be all right. He's uh, We don't know how he's going to be as a manager because he's not really got any records. What we do know for sure is that uh, he should be able to help build some stability long term because he has a 2-1 in construction project management. So if he can construct this project well, that's from the Harriet Watt University, by the way. Because <laughs> um, I've been on LinkedIn <laughs> to find out more about Davey Martindale. Oh, I wonder if he spotted you on the little things of... Who I don't know. I, I don't, use, I don't like, like LinkedIn. Who's this creep? Managing the project from cradle to grave for private or commercial clients. I'm not sure you want to say you're going to bring a project to the grave when you hire someone. <laughs> that's, that's not the case for Livingston. I'm just reading up his, uh, his um, LinkedIn. I was, the reason I was looking at him on LinkedIn is because I'm trying to find out what his UEFA badges are and what you have to have. And I don't know what the minimum is to be a manager in the Premiership. Like in the Premier League, I think it's UEFA Pro. For people who don't know, it goes UEFA Pro is the highest. And you've got UEFA A, UEFA B, UEFA C. And then you've got various different um, football associations will have the lower ones. I have the one below C in the Scottish FA, which is easy to get. <laughs> but uh, everyone else will have something similar. So, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to find out what Martin Dill's got, but I don't know. So if anyone does know, please tweet in or send us an email or something like that, because I'd like to know. 
Um, yeah, I have no idea how it's going to go. It should be fine. Livingston, I mean, they were doing all right with uh, Gary Holt, who I thought was a really good coach. So we'll see how Martin Dell gets on. Well, he's, you know, one game away from the League Cup final. Um, so it could be a memorable season for him as manager of Livingston. But from one cup final to the Scottish Cup final. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Christopher Iyer up against his former teammate Craig Gordon for the Cup. And he's done it! Celtic 3, Hearts 3, Celtic winning 4-3 on penalties. That's the Scottish Cup final, which was delayed by seven months, but it was well worth the wait for a lot of neutrals, especially for Celtic fans, as their team completed the quadruple treble, as we kept on being reminded about it. Um, 3-3 after extra time, 4-3 on penalties, like I said. Does this paper over the cracks, JJ, that, you know, a defensive display from Celtic seemed to be going all their way in the first half, but in the second half, everything that was going wrong for Celtic in the last two or three months crept back in because Hearts came back fighting in the second half. Well, I don't know about papering over cracks, but I think what we saw in the final was that Hearts maybe gave a little bit too much... I don't know if it's too much respect to Celtic. I think they set up well and they were trying to... You know, you want to try and contain and slow the game down so you can keep yourself in it. If you can see the goal early on, that's a nightmare in a cup final. And as in the semi-final, it's one little moment of crying Christie magic that opens the scoring. Like you can't really account for that. I just don't. There's nothing you can really do to stop it. You just can't predict he's be able to do that, even though he did it last time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like in terms of underlying stats and everything, right? I, I won't go rely on XG and whatever. Celtic comfortably ahead, should have won. But what I thought was really interesting, if you look right into the bits, why scout to these reports you see, then you can see the different bits and pieces. So what seems to have happened is that after half time. Hearts pushed their defensive line up a few metres and they also um, increased their, their pressing. So there's a, a stat on Optum whatever, called uh, PPDA, which is passes per defensive action. So it tells you how many passes the opposition have before they, um, before they lose the ball. So that it tells you basically how good you are at pressing or how intense your press is, maybe not how good it is. But um, soon, as soon as you get to about full time, Hearts just like dives, just dive bombs into the ground because uh, Celtic were comfortably the better team in terms of pressing and winning the ball back. Hearts are pushing them, and like I said, they pushed up in the second half. But uh, this is probably the sign between fitter, better players um, after full-time. And then Hearts just couldn't handle it. It could also be it could be tactical. It could have been that Nielsen wanted to drop them off a bit and not have them open for those chances. But uh, with that decrease in pressing, that is also when um, Celtic's XG goes shooting up <laughs> so it's kind of it might suggest that the good way to beat Celtic is to, to really go at them because maybe maybe they are defensively vulnerable but I, I don't know I think it's just a little bit of Hearts just not being good enough or fit enough at the end Yeah I mean it was Robbie Nielsen came out and said they'd looked at the last 10 or 12 games or something that uh, Celtic have played and looked at the three games where teams had taken points off of them and they were playing like five at the back and then just trying to make it really difficult and to hit them on the break. But the, it seemed to be a total difference from the first half and the second half in the level of intensity and, and aggression and how Hearts were trying to kind of engage with Celtic. And that was maybe the difference between the two halves. But, I mean, Laura, when you look at the amount of effort that Hearts put into it and they get themselves back time and time again, the full-time whistle after extra time and penalties, it was pretty demoralising for them. Of course, they they did so well. I think in, in any normal circumstances, if you score three goals against Celtic in a cup final, 
you're going to win the cup. It's it's very unusual. And you're kind of going back to what you were saying about papering over the cracks. I, I think this is the epitome of a plaster right now. It's, it's, it is covering up the cracks. It doesn't solve anything. I think Celtic winning this was the minimum that the fans expected. They didn't play well. They they shouldn't be conceding three goals at Hamden and losing the lead twice. So it is. It's a, it's a temporary kind of day off from the headaches for Celtic. They They enjoyed it. They'll have that now in the record books, but it doesn't it doesn't solve problems. For Hearts though, it, it shows that they, they aren't really a championship team when you when you break it down. They did fantastically to, to match Celtic. Um I think we all kinda of thought at 2-0 it was it was game over. They they surprised a lot of people came back in and even even at 3-2 in extra time, I think even I, I was guilty of saying right that's it, that's game over now. Um and, and again they came back to prove everyone wrong. Um, I think they can. It will hurt a lot for Hearts today, um, but in on hindsight, in years to come, they can hold their heads high on this one and look back on it as it was a classic, and they should be proud of themselves for what they did. Should Odson Edouard be proud of his Penenka? Because there's been a lot of debate about this. Should players be taking um, penalties in a Penenka style when it's the first half or whatever? That like, I mean, does it really matter, JJ? Well. <laughs> This is a weird one, right? Because I am fully, <laughs> I am fully in the Neymar should be allowed to do rainbow flicks over players on the wing and stuff like that. Or you should. Yeah, there was absolutely. This, this player in Germany who got booked the other day for unsporting behaviour because he took ages before he put the ball in the net when he was clean through. He's just wasting time. It's really clever. Yeah. Uh, however, this there's something about this that I hated. <laughs> it's because like right. So f- fair enough. Right, Hearts. You expect Celtic to win this because Celtic should win it. They should win every single game they play in Scotland, with the exception of Rangers games now. A team for the Championship, you know, <laughs> you know they're going to win. And then Christie's already put them one up with a worldie, and you think, right, I'm the same as Laura. This is done now. See you later. And then they get, of course, they get a penalty for a stupid handball. Of course, that happens. But the way <laughs> it's the way you sort of like, I don't know. There's a certain sort of. I agree that there's a level of skill you put it in and it's quite ballsy. Like, I remember Pirlo didn't do it against England in the World Cup and I thought it was really funny. But as soon as he did it, you knew that Italy were going to win that game because it just kind of takes all the wind out of their sails. You just know, like, all right, that's a different level. That's a different level of confidence, a different level of quality. Uh, But I would be the same as Craig Gordon. I'd be absolutely raging. A former teammate basically taking the piss. Like, I totally get it. Come on, JJ. Come on. Surely the individuals involved are absolutely irrelevant here. Gordon plays for Hearts now. If he initially were coming up against former teammates, then that's a much bigger problem that he has to deal with. I don't think it comes down to who the individuals are and the fact that Gordon played for Celtic beforehand. I think like, it absolutely has something to do with it. There's no way you're working day in, day out with these lads for for so long. Why is it disrespectful though? In what in what world is it disrespectful? I mean, it's called the beautiful game. So why is it disrespectful to take a beautiful penalty? I just think there's a little bit of maybe... I understand what you're saying, and I don't want to say you shouldn't be taking those penalties because I, I do quite like them. It's just something like... I don't know, it's just so annoying that it's so clearly going to be Celtic that will win it, and then that penalty comes along and the way he takes it. <laughs> there's a certain arrogance to it, but I quite like people with arrogance sometimes. It's, I, I, I can't really explain what I mean, but it kind of frustrated me at the time. The, the, the only people that seem to be kicking off about it are either ex-managers or ex-pros, really. And I'm sure there are like some fans out there that don't like it. But at the end of the day, you take whatever penalty and use whatever skill you can to win the game. So I don't know why yeah. it's that big of a debate, really, rather than just, I like it, I don't like it, move yeah, on. If you've got it, if you've got it, flaunt it. 
And I mean, you, you, players are getting criticised left, right and centre for being defensive and negative. <laughs> and then you get somebody having a bit of flair and he's still getting criticised for it. I mean, you can't keep anyone, everyone happy, can you? And let's talk about the response from Hearts in the second half. Because I've never seen a Hearts player do this before. A.D. White controlling the ball and then flicking it over Christopher Ryer, who's about six foot five, and then running down the wing. And then he gets the ball to Andy Halliday, and, um, who, who puts a lovely floaty ball in for, for Liam Boyce. Uh, great header to get them back in straight after the, the restart. I think A.D. White actually did well to make up for... I don't think you can blame him for Celtic's first goal, but he was in the way for it, and the ball did deflect off him um, into what was eventually Christie's path for the goal. And I think if that had proved to be the winner, he would have probably felt quite down about it because he was involved in, in giving away possession. So I think he made up for it really well um, in his involvement later on. Um, thank God for goal line technology, by the way, um, because I don't think if if we didn't have it, I don't think that that goal would have been awarded, and the game wouldn't have been what it turned out to be. Um, there was so many players in the box. <laughs> How good was John Beaton's reaction? He's pointing to his watch, he was going, The watch! The watch! The watch! The watch has eyes! The watch! They saw you. <laughs> I went four times. Like, going like, It's not me, lads, it's the watch! <laughs> Don't, don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think they did really well. I, I mean, even watching it on replays, I still can't see what happened to the ball because there's about 27 players inside the box, subs included. It was ridiculously messy. Um, no, they did they did really, really well. Um, I think, was it Ginelli had two sitters right at the death um, at the end of the 90 minutes? Um, we could have made it 3-2. Oh, my God. Um, I think if you're a Hearts fan, the stress that you were going through when you had those two, two shots... Um, I don't think he would have been um, the the favourite amongst Hearts fans for a, a few for a wee while, but he scored a third, didn't he? So he kind of pulled it back for them. In that sense, he redeemed himself. Um, but oh my God, the stress that they must have been going through watching his chances at the end. The reaction in the second half was brilliant. I think they were they they showed that they were good. I mean, they have what is it the fourth biggest budget I think in Scottish football. So you they should be able to put up a bit of a fight. I don't think they should expect them to win against Celtic. But the, I thought they played really well in the second half and deserved it. Is that what they got? I, and they were just so lucky with, with the penalties, I think. Maybe just that lack of confidence slash uh, quality that you get from really good quality experienced players that Celtic have was a difference in the penalty shoot. I, I know people say it's a lottery or whatever, but there's so much that rides on the mental strength of players when they go into those things. You have to rely on muscle memory and not get phased by what's ever going on. Nothing with the crowd, just the level of anticipation that's coming to that. And it's big. I would uh, really like to talk about Scott Brown though and what an absolute knob he was in this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on. So, so him and Stephen Naismith, right? So um, I talked about this before, I think. There's this book called The Captain Class. And it's um it's a really good read. If, if anyone's struggling for a last minute Christmas present, so it's all about the, the the greatest teams in history have all one thing in common, and it's this sort of mental captain who will happily get himself uh, booked, sent off, injured, uh, killed for the the for the good of the team. And Naismith is maybe not the best example of it, but he's that kind of just he's happy to wind everyone up, but he leads. He makes everyone better around him. He expects more of you. And when he's not there, you notice him. Scott Brown, exactly the same. Uh, maybe not the best footballer in the world, but he just has everything in the head that you need to, to win and lead and all that sort of stuff. But come on, man. Like, he's going up to Naismith all through the game going, Yeah! Yeah! You liked it! You liked it, buddy! And, it's, uh, and then running all the length of the pitch to chase him down. You see the, when the, the goal goes in and he leans over him. Like, leans over yeah. him like, a, like some sort of ape. Like, it's... 
Come on. I think that was Kingsley, actually. I think that was Kingsley leans over. But yeah, it's that kind of... yeah. But then he does that and then he runs back to find Naismith and then goes to him. (laughs) It's so animalistic. But that's oh, I don't know, man. Like, I kind of love Scottish football for some of hey, that. Background. But I like it too. This is the thing. Like, it's like, God, you, you hate to see it against your team, but you love yeah. it, it. And there's something special about Scott Brown doing that. I both loathe it and really respect it at the same time. <laughs> it's better the fact that Naismith was on the pitch to kind of have that other aspect to it as well. Like the, the other I side of the, the coin was, was on the pitch too. Yeah. Those players will enjoy that battle. Um, and um, Celtic will really miss Scott Brown when he's gone. And he would be an example of this captain class thing that comes in there. Except talking about how like, what an achievement this quadruple treble is. I mean, you have to put in context when they won the first one, what was going on. I mean, Rangers were, you know, liquidated, put into the third tier or whatever. And then they haven't really had a challenger the entire time, right? So sure enough, I mean, Lennon was winning league titles with them back to back. They were just never going to lose it. And then Brendan Rodgers comes in, turns him to this unstoppable force. And his record, like going a whole season unbeaten, is unbelievable. And you look at when you look at it, and just all the green ticks that come up when you go through that uh, that list of games that they won. And then they carried it into the next season. Sure enough, great achievement. It's only been this season and the last season when they've had genuine challenges and they've seen them off. I think Neil Lennon is right to say it won't happen again, but that's probably partly due to the circumstances of not having that challenger in the league because they should always have won those games anyway but they still had to do it like it's both an amazing achievement and something that they should have done anyway at the same time it's really hard to kind of make i don't want to take away from the achievement but you know what i mean like they it's like psg if you look at the, the wage budget difference i know that i don't want to go into this a lot but if celtic's average wage is according to the, the last numbers i can find the average wage per player is eight hundred ninety-five thousand um pounds per player so and the nearest they've had for for ages has been Aberdeen, who are currently at 140 grand per player. So it's a that's a difference of what is it? Well, the difference between Celtic and Hearts, for example, is 6.4 times. And if you put that into other leagues, it's just not really comparable. It, it's a huge, huge jump. And I mean, you can find examples like in England, it'd be about the same between Man City and Sheffield United, right? Who don't beat them as an example. But then Sheffield United's budget is about 19 million pounds a year for wages, whereas Celtic's is not that. So there's all these different caveats. But I, I just can't... Do you, what do you think, Laura? Do you think it's an amazing achievement? Do you think it's something they should have done? What do you think it'll be remembered as? I agree with you. I think it is a mix of both. Uh, I think considering the circumstances, yes, it, it should have been done. But to carry on, particularly this season, or, or rather, as we're referring to it as last season, they did have that challenge. And you've got to kind of credit them for that. They managed to keep it going. Um, regardless beyond that um, just, there's just one final thing I'd like to say just before we wrap up um, the Scottish Cup final chat is I was actually quite disappointed Celtic didn't mark their fans at the end of the, the celebrations once they got the trophy presentation I think we've seen it like in Germany and, and countries where where there's absent fans players will go over to the stand regardless um, and I just think it would have been a nice wee moment for them I, I, there's a lot of debates over whether this cup final should have been played and, and whether you should play these big games behind closed doors um, I'm, I'm quite against it just because obviously the fans being there such a big part for me personally um, to see them just go straight down a tunnel though and not even kind of nod over to, to their section I, I just find it quite disappointing I think kind of lacked a wee bit of class well I think the reason for that is because they could see all the fans like Star Wars force ghosts over the top of Hamden during the match so it's near <laughs> there the whole time anyway <laughs> 
Well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise, despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Uh, why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Uh. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus 4 Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, it's in plus begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Well, it looked like Rangers would have been in a, a full crisis after their first defeat of the season uh, to St Mirren in midweek. And they were also losing 1-0 at home to Motherwell with 17 minutes to go at the weekend. But two goals from Kimar Roof and one from substitute Cedric Itton sent Rangers 16 points clear of Celtic. Rangers... I think made an even bigger statement in this game, did they not? The fact that they had to come back from behind um, to win this so convincingly, even in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, Rangers, um, they were put under a lot of pressure at Ibrox and I think they showed the kind of, the mark of, I mean, we've talked about for a, a while now, it's like the mark of champions is quite typically when you're, you're struggling and you still manage to pull off the result and get the points regardless. You can look at the stats, you can look at the Rangers' possession numbers, the shots they had, and I think a lot of people would kind of look at that and just say it was an onslaught. I don't think it was. Rangers, yes, they dominated, um, and they did have the majority of shots, but I don't think that necessarily means they controlled the game. Uh, I think a lot of fans would have expected it to be a higher scoreline, to be honest, considering the form of both teams going into this game. Um, from a mother perspective... Uh, as as I was there in a Motherwell capacity. Um, when Rangers came to Fair Park in August, Motherwell had a go at them and were punished for it. So going into this one, Stephen Robson changed the tactics around and played very defensively. Um, he did come in for criticism afterwards uh, from a mix of Motherwell and Rangers fans, actually. Um, but I think we need to be realistic and honest with this. Um, had Motherwell played expansive and attacking football, Rangers would have won by a lot more than three goals. They're a better team. They have, they have better players, that, that's fact. But sometimes you have to be selfish. It's, it's not always pretty to part the bus and it's not a great advert for Scottish football, let's be honest. But considering the results that um, Motherwell have been suffering recently in terms of scorelines, I think it was critical that we didn't go into this one and receive a battering. I think we had to do a lot in terms of our confidence. Um, and to be fair, the game plan worked from a Motherwell perspective for 70-odd minutes. We frustrated Rangers, limited their chances and came close to getting at least a point from it. With four minutes to go, he was trying to find the equaliser. And fair play to him. You can you can criticise non-stop about playing defensively, but when you've got four minutes left and you're losing, then what have you got to lose? Yes, we lost another goal out of it, but we could have, if it had gone right, had an equaliser. And Devantico, who was one of the subs, did have a chance to equalise. It just didn't come off in the end. JJ, what do you think of you know this Rangers side that, keep being asked questions and they keep answering them. You know, they lose to St Mirren um, in the Cup. You know, a big blow to Rangers because they've been going so well and it's their, you know, first chance of, of, of winning a trophy in a long time. And, you know, you look at this being one of Rangers' best starts to a season in 92 years. I mean, how do you sum up this Rangers team and the, the response that they're giving right now? I don't need to sum them up. I mean, they're they're... Playing really well. We've talked a lot about them this season, about how well coached they look and how the the process seems to be working with the players they've assembled and the squad they've built and the way they play is good. Uh, they're taking advantage of all different avenues 
they use the players best. Like Tavernier gets really high and wide and attacks a lot. He scores lots of goals and you've got lots of um, set pieces that they make use of. Um, but they, they just control every single game. Like I kind of disagree with Laura. I think the Rangers had total control of this game from start to finish. Like it was inevitable they were going to win. Um, I don't blame Robinson for the setup because it's one way to win a game. He could have been attacking a mighty one, could have been defensive mighty one. He's just not going to beat them. Interestingly, when he made those changes, he changed the system. So it went from a five-three-two, something like that, to a back four with a five across the midfield. And it's, it was after that change, the five across midfield, that Rangers got back into the game. And I think it's maybe because the spacing between players was changed ever so slightly, which means Rangers were able to get through them. Um, Underlying stats show that Rangers were clearly like the winner. They were they they dominated all things like possession. I don't really like possession stuff, but they, I mean, average positions. Every single player was in the Motherwell half. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, just for a little like taster of how they had it. But that I mean, you can block space if they're in the half. You know, often the best way to beat someone is to draw them out so you can counterattack them. But Motherwell were just um, firmly making sure that didn't happen. Rangers set up to deal with that. They they have players who can break down these blocks. They have players who can hit people on the counter-attack. They're riding that momentum. It's quite funny that they lost to St Mirren. Remember last week I said they lose to someone stupid this season? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There it was. <laughs> uh, in the cup as well, though. I mean, this is the thing. They're not quite... They haven't got that, you know, all-destroying thing. I, I never had to come back to Celtic. Like, I never reasoned that that quadruple trouble is quite impressive because they did manage to avoid losing any of those stupid games that always seem to happen on Football Manager, by the way. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to sum them up because we don't know what's going to happen. I think we need to see what happens into the, the season to really be able to know where they are. But the good thing for them is there's no winter break, so there's no chance for them to talk themselves out of winning it this year. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, is, is Steven Gerrard managing his players a little bit better in, in, in the public eye, particularly? Because after that defeat to St Mirren, well, it ended a 27 game unbeaten run, and he comes out. You know, after that game, and says, you know, I'm not going to hammer my players. They've given me so much this season. Yeah, you got to do stuff like that. Every manager will learn as they're going along. But as what we say with all managers, it, a lot of it's built on confidence. You don't want to try and derail your players' confidence. If you can avoid it at any cost, that is the absolute most important thing you can do. I think you can't undervalue how important players being happy, confident, and motivated is. And if you start slagging them off because they don't give you enough in one unlucky game. <laughs> <laughs> then it doesn't make sense and it makes it all about you rather than the team and it has to be for the, the collective not just you as a manager one thing that Steven Gerrard has done I think some of the stuff he said at the start of his managerial career sounded quite um, focused on himself and, and protecting his reputation a little bit and I think he's he doesn't do that I think he has changed the way he talks to the press a little bit and about his players especially Gerard's making records of his own now. It's the best start to Rangers season in 92 years. Back then, 1928-29. Remember, JJ? Uh, Bill Struth yeah, won the league. Won the league, finishing 16 points ahead of Celtic. Um, I wonder if we'll see something similar, considering the 16 points clear of Celtic and Aberdeen as it stands. Just a quick one on, on Motherwell, please, because no win since October. Four defeats in a row. Is is I know you're with Motherwell, <laughs> Laura. Is is the pressure felt within the changing room right now? Look, stats can be twisted any way you want. You say that you look at no wins since October, four defeats in a row, but then if you want to play it the other way round, we haven't lost an away game uh, to a non-old firm team since the opening day of the season. 
Oh, you there should you be go. in politics, Laura. <laughs> it's so easy to twist it, whatever we want. Um, like yeah, but if this was if this the, was you know a couple of weeks ago, and we're talking about Neil Lennon not having a win in like ten games or whatever like that, you would be. I know this. I'm I'm labelling this as. I know, but games. but four games at Club like Motherwell is not this quite the same as Celtic not winning ten games. <laughs> it's only sure. their kind of fair comparisons. Like the last couple of games have been difficult. We've played some of the best teams in the country recently. Celtic, Rangers, and Hibs have all been in, in our recent the recent run. Um, I think the big games over Christmas are massive. We've got Aberdeen coming up next. We've proved already this season they are beatable. Um, we've got Kelly. Dundee United is a tricky one, I think. That's a paradise. And then there's a derby against Hamilton Ackies at New Year. I think these next four games are, are massive. Um, but no, there's, there's no pressure, there's no panic right now. Um, Mother will go through ups and downs quite often. Um, it's not always rosy for an entire season. So they've been here before and they've got out of it and there's, there's no there's no fear that won't happen again. Stuart, um, we've, you've just informed me of uh, some breaking news. Can you just tell us about that, please? Oh, listen, I just, again, I'll always try and front everything up. I've now been relieved of my duties as, uh, as the manager. So from my point of view, it's obviously gut-wrenching. Um, I want to do well for the football club. A lot of people associate me with, but as I say, I just want to kind of front that one up and say that that's the situation just now. Saturday also saw the second managerial change of the season in the Premiership. Ross County lost 2-0 to Hamilton, after which manager Stuart Kettlewell immediately announced his own sacking. Kettlewell broke the news himself, folks. Um, pretty bizarre scenario, um, if I'm honest. Laura, you've, you've done these things in the past, so it's... You know, have you, has that ever happened to you before where you've seen a manager go... I mean, is, was it well known before the game that this was going to happen, maybe? What have I done in the past? Have I sacked managers in the past? No, but you, you've, <laughs> you know, you've conducted post-match interviews and whatnot. You know you know the script. Yeah. Um, in my journalist days, nothing like that ever happened. Um, I remember once, there was um, it was a day that Jackie McNamara and Simon Donnelly got sacked from Dundee United. I was covering the game at McDermott Park. And there was like, you get the sense that there's a lot of kind of chat amongst the journalists that something's happening and we're on the brink of something and hold off because we might not get them yet. Something big's about around the corner. Um, so you get a sense of it, but I've never went into an interview before and they've, they've told me <laughs> outright, oh, by the way, I just got sat. It's a very yeah. strange um, circumstances. Full credit to Kettlewell, though, to come out and, and speak like that. He spoke very well, um, to still have his, his head completely screwed on after hearing something like that. Especially, you take away the, the football element of it, just the, the human element of it in this day and age and the current circumstances, to be told you're losing your job. And to still face up and talk about it straight away, it must be a very emotionally challenging time. Um, so, no, full credit to him. I think he did really well to, to, and he handled it. JJ, are you surprised that he was relieved of his duties after, you know, just three weeks ago he'd beat Celtic at Celtic Park? They've done all right. Maybe maybe they think Ross County could do more. Uh, bringing in Yogi, see, I mean, some of the fans seem to think it's a good idea, some don't. Um, looking through the replies on Twitter, maybe not the best actual way to gather insight, <laughs> considering mm. the normal mutants who go on Twitter. However, uh, you look at—I think the job that um, uh, Hughes did at, at Cali Thistle would be what they're looking for. You know, he won a cup. They played quite well. I thought—I mean, I thought he kind of made his name for himself there, and maybe they hope that because it's quite north in the country, that that's also going to be the same. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I think it's a good appointment. Uh, I've kind of always been a, a kind of fan of John Hughes through the years. Wraith Rovers I, I fans would disagree with you. <laughs> I I kind of find his honesty 
quite refreshing. Um, I think he's maybe quite an old-fashioned manager in some senses. Um, maybe needs to kind of bring himself up to speed um, and kind of get with more modern times. Um, I think he's quite old-fashioned in the kind of maybe the hairdryer approach or whatever. Um, I'm not sure what he's like behind the scenes, but that's kind of the, the what I kind of the impression I get from him. But in terms of a, a guy, he's he's so passionate about football in general and whatever project he gets into he's, he's so passionate about that I remember I was at the the Player of the Year awards the season that he won the cup with Cali Thistle and he won play, play, Manager of the Year sorry and he his speech must he must have been on the stage doing his post his post-match speech his post-award speech um, for about 45 minutes and he had the whole audience completely switched on listening to every word he was saying and they were Honestly, I know it's a cliche to say this, but it was so true. He had them laughing at some stages and crying at others. He had the whole room hooked and he was so good at speaking. I think when he, he speaks so passionately about something, you can't help but be, become absorbed in that. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to, to what he does with Ross County and just kind of having him back in Scottish football again. That kind of mentality, that being able to do that and have that presence in a, in a room is often, I think, what makes a lot of managers quite good, regardless of what their tactical setup or anything like that. I mean, some managers, we talked about this a few times recently, but it could be that, I don't know this at all, but it could be that maybe they don't see that, people at Ross County don't see that in Kettlewell. Maybe he's better as, um, like he did very well within the development league. I think he got them promoted or something like, like that. Did he not? When he had yes, he did. Yeah, any yeah, players. Yeah, that's right, he did, yeah. So like, he, clearly he knows how to coach. He's not done badly at all with Ross County, but maybe they want more from someone else. It's probably harsh on Kettlewell, and he could well do a, a, a really good job with someone else. But, I mean, it's going to take a bit of recruitment. Maybe they want him to play in a different way, and Kettlewell doesn't want to play the way they think they need to to survive. And making the change now could be the difference to making sure that they finish above Hamilton. Because <laughs> St Mirren has started to play well, so it's a bit of a worry. The thing for me is that it's it's um, it's a big blow to the chairman's kind of big dream. What Roy McGregor, who's the owner of Ross County, when he brought in the likes of Kettlewell and Stephen Ferguson, it was all about creating a makeup of of Ross County people working for Ross County Football Club. And now that okay, he's moved Stephen Ferguson upstairs um, to a higher role, but he's now got rid of Kettlewell, who's only had his first full season as a as a loan manager because there was co-managers before then. You know, I know he's got a lot of money. I think he's in the top ten. He's worth like three hundred million or something like that. He's a wealthy guy. Um, but he even said, I think after the game or or a day afterwards, that he was going to make a quick appointment. And John Hughes seems like a you know a, a solid appointment. Although Rafe Rovers fans would probably disagree with me. He is positive, but I just wonder if he's going to carry on with. Um, with this Ross County makeup, and if this is going to be a long-term thing, or if it will be a short-term thing. On the offset, it seemed to be, um, it's just till the end of the season, right? So it'll be interesting to see what happens next for Ross County if uh, Yogi can keep them up. And I think Kettlewell's been offered the, the youth role, hasn't he? So Yeah, maybe, let's, just, let's just be friends. Let's just be friends. <laughs> yeah, That's it, what it's it is, a bit strange, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a bit like Graham Murray at Rangers. He got sacked at Rangers and then he was welcomed back at the, the academy role. But that's, we were talking about that with uh, Martindale, right? You don't, when you get fired, you don't really get dingied from the club, so at least you can still stay in. It'll be a bit of a, maybe hurt his pride, but you know you can get a decent job looking after the development. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, it's really difficult. And interesting as well that it's after they lost to Hamilton, who are their direct, I would say, relegation candidates, uh, rivals. Total improvement on the week before when they put in one of the worst performances I've ever seen a Hamilton team put in. <laughs> uh, 
I'm really impressed with that boy, Ross Callahan. I, I think he's quite a good player in midfield. Well, he, he didn't really hit the heights at Hearts, did he? And I think Hamilton seems to be a club he seems to be thriving at. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hamilton just seemed to do this. I said that, you know, this is going to be their year where they go down. And then they go and, you know, throw it back in my face. They're finishing 10th. But good for them. We've mentioned St Mirren a few times. So after the break, let's go big in the buddies. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. What a week it has been for St Mirren. They've extended the unbeaten run to 11 games in all competitions. Plus, they've progressed to a cup semi-final at Hamden, knocking out previously unbeaten Rangers. We're joined now by Dave McDonald, a.k.a. the one and only Pie and Bovril on Twitter. Dave, how are things? Are you are you alright? Can you handle this newfound success? Uh, yes, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, I, it's, I actually tweeted out at the weekend that this isn't what I signed up to when I became a Sutton <laughs> fan. I'm not used to this level of success or comparative success, no. It's been a brilliant run. Um, I'm so pleased because it was we've had such a, a stop-start campaign and so many things have been flung at the, at the club um, so it's, it's great to see them getting some rewards um, because we have played some decent stuff at times this season and maybe not had the rewards for it we've had a wee bit of luck here and there over the last couple of games too which has helped obviously but there's some good players there and I'm so pleased for, for Goody he's such a good guy What's the what's been the key what do you has anything changed in the last little while that uh, Goodwin's done with the team well, to be fair, what happened was um, the arrival of Jake Doyle Hayes really was, for me, was the catalyst for everything that's changed because when he arrived at the club, um, he, he sat in the middle of the park and that's uh, that's allowed Jamie McGrath a bit more freedom to get forward. Uh, he's coming off the wing as well. Uh, Dylan Connolly's got fit uh, and is now playing in the wide areas and Neil Kai Dormis has come back fit as well. So the two of them coming in, wide has allowed Jamie McGrath to play more central and Jake Doyle Hayes doing the dirty work with uh, Ethan Erehorn has allowed Jamie to get forward more so that whole kind of unit has has really gelled and, and looks really good now we're creating chances and you know the defence was always pretty solid to be fair the goalkeeper and the players that Jim brought in in the summer they're all experienced it's a good there's a good unit there so it was always just trying to get the blend right in the middle of the park and then to try and start scoring some more goals as well because we do, or we were missing a lot of chances uh, in games, and I still think it's probably our weakest point. Actually, even though we have scored six goals in the last two games, we, we still don't carry too much goal threat, and and that's something that I think Jim will probably look to improve in, in January. But you got two goals in the last eight minutes, so I mean, it just shows you that there must be a good spirit in that side. Do you get that impression from the, the squad? Oh, big time. You know, the players look as though they're really enjoying themselves at the moment. And confidence, you know, we all know that in football, it's such a massive, massive thing. You can see it running through the whole team. And even when we went 2-1 uh, down, as soon as, uh, again, we did get a little bit of luck. I thought the red car was a little bit harsh for Jason Kerr, but second half, we absolutely dominated the ball. And I've seen St Mun play against 10 men and, dare I say, even 9 men in the past and struggle. So um, it was good to see us dominate the game. We completely battered them second half and it was good to see them getting the rewards uh, with the two late goals. But again, that shows you 
the value of a squad because Kyle McAllister came on who's done very, very little this season, a player I really like, and he turned the game. He was absolutely sensational when he came off the bench. And again, earlier in the season, you looked at the bench and there was nobody there uh, who you thought, you know, they're going to come on and change the game. Whereas now we've got real quality there. John Abika obviously came off the bench and scored the winner as well on Saturday. So it's, it's great to see the bench looking strong. We've got likes of Ryan Flynn, Sam Foley can't even get a game. Sam Foley was our player of the year last year. And Ryan Flynn was our player of the year the year before that. So they can't even get, get on the pitch at the moment, which again just shows how well the, the, the team are playing. We've just seen, you know, on Monday, you know, the, or well, even the weekend, uh, the changes that have happened in, in terms of managerial sense. Jim Goodwin seems like a pretty good guy. Like he comes across really well in his in his press conferences and his post match pressers and whatnot. You know, what do you? How do you rate him? Do you know what? A few weeks ago, I was, I was a little bit frustrated, and I think Jim's touched on this himself recently that we were a little bit negative, and I felt as though if we believed a little bit more and maybe had a bit more of a go that we would get better results, and so. But I think, as I, as I say, he has he's realised that he said that in press conferences in the last couple of weeks that he started to give the players a bit more freedom. And again, I think Jake Doyle Hayes come in really was a catalyst for that uh, for allowing that to happen and getting the white players fit. But Jim's, you know, he's a Simon legend. The Simon fans absolutely adore him. We adored him um, for the minute he came in the door because obviously his history with the club as a player. Um, so he, I think that always helps a manager. You know, he, he talks so well as well. You can't help but like Jim Goodwin. He's, and he's so handsome as well. I mean, let's be fair. Um, so <laughs> it's just got, he's the full package. He, he talks well. I don't think he's getting too carried away. We know football is football. You know, we could go and lose a couple of games and then all of a sudden things don't look so well really quickly. So, but I think, you know, there's some fans adore him and hopefully he'll be there for, for a long time to come yet. Mirren might be due a date with Hibs at Hamden in a couple of months. Jack Rossi's side held at home on Saturday by Dundee United in a one-all draw. Luke Bolton smashing in a stoppage time equaliser for the Tangerines. It's still been a pretty good week for Hibs though, JJ, because you know they're they're off to Hamden. You know they could be in the League Cup final, and they're probably favourites as well. I think our friends at Paddy Power have uh, put them top of the tree after Rangers were eliminated. Top of the tree. I mean, I haven't changed the way I talk about Hibs all season. I think they're the third or fourth best team in the league. Uh, couldn't get over the line here. They were fine. Like Dundee United were, were always going to try and defend this and, and hold them down. Later in the game, they started pushing higher up the pitch and Hibs did not like it. And uh, I think you know, Jack Ross was disappointed with coming away with just the, the draw. They should, I mean, you'd think they should hold on for a 1-0. But I don't think Hibs kept it up for the entire match. They didn't get the levels high enough to not not deserve the win, but they just didn't do enough, really, to get it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They're all right. Dundee United are fine as well. <laughs> I mean, is it, Laura, was it not the fact that, you know, Hibernian probably should have won this game and the reason they didn't was because of Benjamin Segrist? Yeah, I feel like this game will be remembered for just how many chances Hibs had and how they, they couldn't pull it off in the end. Um, I think they'll be very frustrated with dropping two points. It's, once again... Seagrest is the hero. I feel like we say it every second week for Dundee United. Where would they be without him? He's he's done so well. Um, I don't know when his contract's up, but you know if it's, if it's anytime soon, then United maybe will get a wee bit squeaky bum time come the, the January transfer window if uh, if he is in that position because he has been night and day the difference for this club this season. I think um, 
Dundee United changed their formation though to a 4-4-2. I think the fans have been crying out for it for a while um, and it worked. I think it, it paid off. Um, and now I think it's a question of will Mellon stick to that? Um, I don't know if he's, he's kind of been to and fro between a few for, formations um, and it's just to kind of see if he'll kind of stick with what has clearly worked in the sense of they came from behind and got a last minute equaliser against all odds I think I think I was I, I watched because I, I, I'd been at the game on Saturday uh, working I didn't see the score and when I watched sports scene at night I watched it not knowing the score and I was really surprised to see United equalise at the end so Mellon switches between he's got a couple of different systems he turns to he's got 5-4-1 it's, they're always defensive to be honest and they rely on counter-attacks and the 4-4-2 and he switched between them all season long and he switched during the game here half-time they came out with a 4-4-2 well just after half-time actually I'd say and um, I think the reason that they were able to not get into the game but the thing that would disappoint Ross the most with this is that Hibs has started shelling the ball they stopped playing the way that they're supposed to by keeping it short and passing around and they were launching it like they're like pass accuracy goes down, a long pass share goes up at about 61 minutes because they're just launching it over the top. And it could be because Dundee United were pushing higher up the pitch because you know they're they're trying to press them higher up and they've noticed that's the way to do it. But they've got to be able to... Hibs have to be better at controlling the game and beating the press and passing out from that. It's, it's really poor for them. Dundee United, a decent result, I think, for them. Finally, we're going to move to Aberdeen, who went up to third with a 2-0 win at Rugby Park on Sunday. Level on points with Celtic now, but they have played two more games. JJ, what do you make of this Aberdeen performance? Because they always seem to win 1-0, as you always say. Um, but this time, they won 2-0. That must have been pleasing for Aberdeen fans. Uh, every Aberdeen performance is largely the same. <laughs> you, oh, It's not great to watch. We just <laughs> As soon as they, if they take the lead, you know they're not going to lose, pretty much. It's basically a battle to who gets the first goal. I think everyone who plays against Aberdeen must hate it because they're just so difficult to, to, to score against or... Because they're built that way and then they try and break quickly. It makes sense because um, the way that people, other teams are, are a bit worried about playing in Aberdeen, they set up in a way that means that, um, you know, if they sit deep against them, it means you have to be able to open them up. Well, the best way to open them up in this Mourinho way, like we're talking last week, is to then yourself sit back and draw them out so you can counter. And you've got pace, uh, wide players, like tricky ones like Matt Kennedy, stuff like that. First goal, fine. Hedges getting a lucky deflection put in, but he had to make the run to get there, and that's again an example of that quick attack. You know, you, you hit them in transition and you get the goal, and then the second one is a lovely hit by Cosgrove. I think he was trying to aim through the legs of the wall. If you look at the wall, you watch the highlights. Yeah, the Killy wall. One of the players can't work out who it is um, is standing with his legs open. And I think Cosgrove has noticed that and is trying to punt it through, which has been really funny if that had happened. But he misses and it goes to another player. <laughs> I think that actually came from the training field because it looked as though it could have been... Oh, for sure um, it did, yeah. I can't remember the other players. Or the, yeah, but it was... Um, he just kind of ran up to the ball as if he was maybe just going to lay it off, just like a little tap to the side. Well, he stood, he stood about five yards it. off it and he had two players around it who mm. normally take the free kicks and then Cosgrove just steams in and then batters it under the wall. Decent enough. Uh, Aberdeen seemed to do really well at Rugby Park. Haven't lost in nine years, which is pretty mental. It's a, a plastic pitch as well. I don't know. It's all right. Every Aberdeen game is mostly the same. They're gonna. They should win most of the games they play. They're gonna lose some of them. I think Motherwell will be interesting next next week. Actually, what about Ryan Hedges? Because quite a few flashes of of brilliance from him. I love that little flick into Cosgrove. But how good? How, how much do you rank him as an Aberdeen player? I think Ryan Hedges realizes that this is his year to try and get something done. And if he doesn't start making his career happen now, it's not going to happen. So he is playing with the power of a thousand suns. And that is why he's 
I don't know. He just seems at it. Do you know you realise, like, I moved down to London when I was in my late 20s because I realised that people who wrote in The Simpsons were my age, so I should be doing it. So Ryan Hedges is 25, right? So he's the year. If he, he basically has about five years of his peak left. If he wants to earn some money and get a move to somewhere in the championship and get a place in the Wales team proper, then he has to step it up. And, and I think he's really doing it. So he's got good coaching stuff available to him, but it's all down to the player himself and he's doing really well. How much of a dangerous possession are Kilmarnock in? They've lost seven of the last nine games. They've failed to score in six of the last seven. It's worrying times for Kilmarnock fans because they're level in points for Hamilton. You know, they're in a, in a relegation battle, are they not? Yeah, I think it's maybe kind of worrying because they're also not playing very well. I think that this game was very stuffy. A lot of long balls and it's not, not really great to watch. And I, I, I kind of get the feeling that Alex Dyer isn't really motivating the players. You, you, you don't really get that sense. They, they look a bit down. Um, I don't know, is, is it just a lack of confidence just now? Um, it, it felt like Kelly could have played all day and, and not scored. They're, they're just kind of lacking that cutting edge just now. And I think maybe a bit of luck as well comes into it. But if they carry on the way they're going, then yeah, the relegation battle is, is looming for them. They, they, they need that injection of some sort of life and, and form right now. And it, is, it, is it coming from Dyer? Is it? I don't know. I don't. I don't think so right now. It's funny because what we said, there's no winter break either, so there's there's no time to reflect right now for Kamarnik. So it will be. They're just going to have to find some bit of genius from somewhere. And we've mentioned it before. Chris Burke is their main outlet um, because Kabamba can pop up from time to time, but it's not often enough. But we're going to move on now because coming up next, it's FFS. Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The big headline in the world of fantasy football Scotland is that James Tavernier didn't do anything apart from play. No goals, assists or clean sheets. Um, and 30% of you, Captain T- Captain Tav. Um, Lewis Ferguson was the most bought player this week. Cosgrove scored, but was um, on the bench again, so not maximum points for him. I think that'll change again now because Main didn't score. So I think that's how they work it now. One and in. Yeah. What about Ross Callahan? You mentioned him as well, JJ, last week um, on the score sheet again as well. I think he's a good differential because he's super cheap. And um, if you're trying to save a bit of money for other players, I just keep thinking that Celtic are going to come good at some point, right? And so to get someone like yeah. Christie or that in, or, or Julian, who's been really good since he's come back in the team, you could have a player like Ross Callahan who, was he, 3.1 million, he scored five. I think he takes the penalties as well for Hamilton. Um, which is obviously a very good thing to have in, in your team. Hamilton, some, some of their players are half decent, but it's because they play for a bad team, you think they're very, they're not great. I, mm-hmm. I've noticed one this week I think is worth doing on my Celtic will surely come good at some point list. Uh, Greg Taylor is only 2.6 million. Yeah, he's also really high up in points so far as well. He's, he's one of the well. best scoring defenders in the league. And he's like, he starts now, and they've put Lax out on the bench, so he's not going to get in. Yeah. And it seemed much better. Like I said, he's the key to Celtic. I think he's well. a very good shoot. I think yeah. um, Celtic will rest a lot of players going into this Ross County game midweek uh, after playing 120 minutes. In an early game, they should be winning. So I think you might see a few players rested. I think maybe now is the time to get Turnbull in, if you haven't already. <laughs> he might finally get his first 90 minutes of the season <laughs> for Celtic. <laughs> um, I think Sorrow will come in for Celtic, but I don't think that's a great player to pick for fantasy I don't think he plays in a position that wins you a lot of points nah. I Is would that, kind of stay clear Sorrow 
oh, I'd yeah, kind yeah. of stay clear of a kind of defensive midfield role because they, they, they're a lot likely to score goals, they're not likely to assist many goals and they don't really get a lot of points for clean sheets either. So if you're wanting to stay clear of a position, it's, it's definitely that one. I'm going to say Obika, Jonathan Obika, because he's cheap. He's 4.1 million and St Mirren are playing well just now, could ride a bit of form. He didn't start in the game in the weekend, but uh, I think he'll look at Ed Lee Irwin up front. Um, I think he's one to look out for. Do we all agree that the Dundee United Kilmarnock game is our players no, no. to stay clear of? <laughs> it's nil-nil. That's nil-nil. Nil-nil written um, all over it. I don't know what you get in terms of points for Seagrist. Um, if you get points for saves, like kind of bonus points if he pulls off, you know, if he passes like the five mark or the ten mark, I don't know if it, it's broken down like that. But Kelly aren't really going to challenge him that much, are they? I think it could be a really dull game and... Like yeah. Daisy said, nil-nil kind of sums it up. And that would probably be a welcome point for Kilmarnock. <laughs> but anyway, time now to hear from our friends Paddy Power, courtesy of producer Charlie. And Charlie, as we've just talked about, big old midweek coming up in the Premiership. Yeah, we've got the uh, Brandon Bull Derby as Motherwell take on Aberdeen. And Laura will be just yards away from Andrew Considine. Uh, JJ won't be, not after the court order. But here's hoping that gets relaxed in 2021. Uh, Derek McInnes won't be relaxed. Aberdeen lost the previous meeting 3-0 at Pataudry. And maybe because of that, Paddy Power make Motherwell 2-1 favourites. Aberdeen are 13-10 to to win at Fir Park. The draw is 11-5. And if you think it's going to be 3-0 Motherwell again, and Laura does, she was just saying that off air, you can get odds of 25-1. to Lovely. But it's going to be 1-0. <laughs> It's always 1-0. <laughs> you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. With Hearts and Scottish Cup final action, it was a chance for other championship clubs to make hay. Ewan Booth Robertson from the 2.1 is here to take us through an exciting weekend in the second tier. Ewan, Dundee were 3-0 up on Dunfermline with 12 minutes to go, but the game finished 3-0. Probably has to be game of the weekend, surely. Oh, without doubt, and it perfectly encapsulates Dundee's barn case of a, a season, you know. It's <laughs> been a strange time for them and, and everyone up there. I thought they looked pretty good for the first 78 minutes and then they capitulated in, in a way that you know only Dundee Football Club could this season um, three goals in, in 12 minutes to surrender what would be an important three points because they're sitting seventh on the table with just 10 points when in reality their squad and their budget puts them behind hearts as the second biggest team in the league. What's going on at Dundee at the moment then? Uh, a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll start with the positive and I say positive there is really only one this season it's probably been Charlie Adams' performances uh, since he joined them you know there's a lot of kind of debate over whether it was a good signing given his age but his quality is undoubted and you know he's second in the league for top goal scorer with four he's probably not provided as many as assists as I'd like to see but that's maybe down to his teammates and he's a real driving force he scored a brilliant goal in this game but I just think defensively they've not been great and just overall there's not a real team cohesion there's not a starting lineup that McPake favours and I think a lot of the fans if you asked them would probably want a new manager on their Christmas list from Santa and they might well get one because the next two games are against Queen of the South and Alloa so if they don't pick up six points in those games I think it could be time up oh well they'll definitely pick up three points against Queen's that's for sure 
what, what about Dunfermline? Uh, they're second now, right? But they've only got one win in five, and that was against Hearts, though. Are, are they? Can they keep us up all season long? Can they push for a promotion? What do you think? No, I, I don't <laughs> think anyone can challenge Hearts. Sorry to kind of ruin the. the I like it. Race the Brutal. That's good. But you have to be you have to be honest and uh, stick your flag to the mast. Remember last time I was on, I said Hearts would definitely win the league. I set myself up for a fail there, but I've been proven right <laughs> so far. Although after that Dunfermline game, I was a little bit uh, dubious whether my prediction would come to fruition. But I just think Hearts have such a good squad. You know, you've seen it against Celtic, some of the players they possess. Although Dunfermline are, are doing well this season, you know, did people get carried away if they're early season form? Probably. Should you read too much into 1-1-5? Probably not. They've got some good players and I expect them to be in the playoffs come the end of the season, which ultimately would signal a, a good campaign for Stevie Crawford's side. What about, about other teams looking for the playoffs? Morton, decent this year? Uh, yes and no. You know, they're sitting in third place after two excellent wins. Nobody backed them to beat Dunfermline after losing their manager and everything that came with that. And he was a bit of a crazy club uh, this this season, which is not all down to them. It's, you know, some media reports have been a little bit sensationalist, but... They're sitting third in the table with a goal difference of minus three. So, you know, you probably wouldn't expect that, that form to continue over the season. I genuinely believe the championship is so open. You know, it's a crazy division, as we've seen already this season, that any team, maybe minus one or two, could challenge for those playoff places. And if Morton can keep up some decent home form, Capolo's a place that the no player really likes to go to. It's a tight pitch especially when fans are back in. I believe that Morton have a good chance and you know, since David Hopkins Hopkins left, their their style of football's changed a little bit. You know, they're kinda of known as being a, a long ball team and while they still possess that, I think their four goals scored, one's came from a, a long throw, one's been a, a long ball, another one across into the box. They have started to play more football with Josh McPake increasingly prominent. So yeah, Morton have a chance, I suppose, but a lot of a lot of clubs do. Just, just quickly, is there any kind of rumor of who might be coming in at, at Morton now that Hopkins left? Yeah, the big rumor which broke kind of straight away was Martin Canning. Um, I believe a, a conversation was had between Canning and, and the powers to be at Morton. I've also been told that perhaps Canning didn't see it as the right opportunity to step back into management, but. Considering that Anton McElhone, I don't really know how to pronounce his name the best, so apologies, Anton, if I've got that incorrect. <laughs> must be must be enough a chance. You know, he's won two games on the bounce. You know, a time where finances aren't great in, in Scottish football, especially the Scottish Championship, he'd probably be a cheaper option. And if he's winning games, like you've seen at David Martin, David Livingston, they, he probably deserves a chance to, to take over. What about Queen of the South, man? Because... <laughs> bottom of the table Alan Johnson says the league doesn't lie but I mean is he in real danger of losing his job I mean I, I hate to put managers under pressure because who am I to, to say too much about sure. football management but I'll, but I'll do it anyway um, <laughs> maybe not because you've got to be realistic Queen of the South probably have one of the lowest budgets in the league yeah. but that doesn't mean their form hasn't been acceptable this season you know they've conceded 22 goals in the league which is far more than any other club at more than two per game 
Mm. Doby is not really scoring goals. He hasn't scored in his last five. He obviously went off on Saturday with a hamstring injury after just 13 minutes, which doesn't bode well. I really worry about Queen's. But then some of the underlying numbers are a little bit more positive. You know, possession-wise, they, they tend to kind of average 50-50 with their opponents. Their XG is 1.384, 1.56 against as clubs with worse differentials in the league. So can they improve? Yes. Is Johnson under pressure? Yes and no. Can they afford to, to sack him and bring in another manager? Is that the best use of their funds at the moment rather than maybe bringing mm-hmm. a striker and bringing a centre-back? I'd probably say no. And I think mm-hmm. he deserves a little bit more time because who else do you bring in? You know, now that Yogi Hughes has finally got his... Uh, his job back in management that maybe takes takes away one big option. The last thing we should talk about is the um, well, the Scottish Championship clubs are going to receive about five hundred thousand each from the Scottish government's grant funding. Ten League One clubs will get one hundred and fifty grand each, and each of the ten League Two clubs will get a hundred thousand. Uh, is that enough? What do you think? I think it's a huge amount of money for the championship clubs to get 500k. Yeah. <laughs> Given the club that I support, being in League One and being one of the bigger cl- clubs in League One in Partick Thistle, uh, from a personal point of view, I struggle to see why there's a £350,000 differential between the Scottish Championship and League One. You know, in the government's original statement, the money was to cover lost revenue through ticket sales. So, you know, Partick Thistle and Falkirk, for example, have lost far more money and ticket sales in, in some of the championship clubs. So is it exactly fair? I, I'm not too sure about that. It's a huge relief to the championship clubs to get this money, 500k. If you're a smaller club in the Scottish Premiership and you're receiving the money through loans, you're probably not too happy as well. So I, I imagine that out of all the, the clubs in every division in Scotland, whether that be Lone League and Highland League as well, the Scottish championship clubs are probably the most satisfied with how the money has been split up between clubs. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks to JJ, Laura, Payan Bovril and to Ewan Booth-Robertson. Also special mention to special producer Charlie for helping us get through this. It's very um, special. I, I, it's so special. And uh, thanks to the Little Kicks as well for our awesome theme song. We'll be back next Tuesday. But for Merry now... Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Scottish Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.